I have a question to ask you. Do you have a singular purpose in your life that impacts every interaction you have in society, in every situation? I want you to ponder that question as we take a summary view of Acts chapter 24 through 26. When we last left Paul, he was standing before the Jewish people testifying to them about why he was preaching, why he was glad to share the good news of the gospel with the Gentiles. And you might recall that, that at the end of that story, he said these words. He said, God told him to go to the Gentiles. At this, the crowd became infuriated and, and they rushed him. They began to call for his life. And the Roman soldiers drew him away from the crowd. And the Roman soldiers, even though Paul had done nothing wrong, still were planning on whipping Paul, on beating Paul. But Paul pointed out to them that, that, that he was a Roman citizen and that whipping a Roman citizen without clear cause and who had not been condemned by the courts was illegal. The tribune, when he heard that, that Paul was a Roman citizen, became Nervous because not only was he not supposed to whip him, but he, he also wasn't supposed to, to bind him in chains. And so he sends Paul back to the Jewish leaders for them to examine him, to see if he could learn an answer through their examination. But in the midst of their interrogation, it became clear to Paul that they were no longer interested in listening to him. They were no longer interested in hearing his witness and his testimony, but rather they just had a plot to kill him. And so Paul uses theological trickery in a way to get himself out of the situation, to extricate him from this, himself from the situation. He mentions the resurrection. Now, there was a group of people known as the Sadducees, and, and they were against the resurrection. They did not believe anybody was resurrected from the dead. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, believed that people were resurrected from the dead. And so when Paul said something about the resurrection, the Sadducees became angry. The Pharisees began to defend him and they began to fight over him. The Bible tells us that, that the Roman soldiers had to come in and rescue Paul because for fear of him being pulled apart like a rag doll between these two different groups. And then Paul was taken back to the barracks. Paul is safe again, but not free. The next day they learn of a plot that has been developed to assassinate Paul. And so they ushered Paul out of the city that he was in, out of the barracks, under the guard of 200 soldiers, and they take him to the governor, Felix. And they say, Felix, you figure out what to do with this man. But before the tribune sends Paul off, he writes a note. I have found that Paul was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. The tribune recognizes that Paul has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing to deserve death or even imprisonment, and yet imprisonment is still the situation he is in. Felix, the governor, places Paul under guard in Herod's Praetorium. It's a name, a fancy name for a tent. And Felix then hears the accusations against Paul from the high priest of the Jews. But Felix realizes something. 
He realizes that there was nothing to their charges, so he sent them away. But the Bible tells us that Felix, still wanting to, to retain some favor with the Jews, kept Paul in prison. It was not a maximum security prison by any means. It was not even a minimum security prison. Acts chapter 24 and verse 23 tells us, then Felix gave orders to the centurion that Paul should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So people could come and go and take care of Paul and do things for Paul as he wished. The other thing is that we know from the Bible is that Felix liked hanging out with Paul. He liked to spend time with him and listen to him. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 24 and verse 24 that after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. Now this disturbed Felix, this upset Felix, and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And then the Bible tells us that that's exactly what he did. At the end of verse 26, so Felix sent for Paul often and conversed with him. This situation, this, this semi-imprisonment where Paul could not go anywhere while he had some freedoms to, to associate with his friends, to write his letters to the various churches, to be a witness, he still was ultimately held in captivity by the Romans. For two years, this went on. Felix was content to appease the Jews by keeping custody of Paul. But he was also unwilling to truly condemn Paul. But then Felix, I don't know if he lost his reelection or he fell out of favor with higher ups, but, but Felix is removed from power as the governor and a new man comes into his place, a man by the name of Festus. Now Festus also wanted to find favor with the Jews, chapter 25 and verse nine. Festus wishing to do the the Jews a favor said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Festus knew that the Jews wanted to get their hands on Paul. Paul also knew this. Paul understood that Jerusalem equaled death, plain and simple. And so Paul took the one option that was left for him and also an option that would provide him with an opportunity that he long desired to go to Rome. Paul appealed to Caesar. Acts chapter 25 and verse 11. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Let me explain to you the moment that just happened here. As a Roman citizen, they were afforded the right to have an appeal hearing before the emperor himself. It is a little bit like the right that we possess in the United States of America to appeal certain cases. And you can appeal them to the next court up, up and up and up until ultimately you get to the Supreme Court. Although in this land, the, the Supreme Court can decide whether or not they actually are going to hear your case in Rome, when a citizen appealed, a Roman citizen appealed to Caesar, it was the final word. Verse 12 of chapter 25 tells us that Festus said, to Caesar you have appealed, 
to Caesar you shall go. But before he was to send him to Caesar, Festus had to figure out how to, what to write in the papers that were to be sent to Rome. You see, there was, there was transfer papers. If he was going to be transferred one, from one prison to another, from one court to another, Festus had to figure out, what am I going to communicate with Caesar to explain why Paul is coming to him? And so Festus asks a guest that is in town for his perspective. The guest happens to be another powerful man, King Agrippa. He was there with his wife, Bernice. And King Agrippa hears the story about Paul and says, let me hear from Paul myself. Obviously, King Agrippa had some knowledge of Paul and wanted to see this man face to face. So Festus says, tomorrow, O King, you will hear from him. Chapter 26 and verse 1 in the book of Acts reads this. So Agrippa said to Paul, Paul comes before Agrippa. The Bible tells us, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then here is what Paul began to do. Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. And he said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You know, when you're going to present someone with a hard topic, it's not a bad idea to, I don't want to say butter them up, but to be affirming to them. Find some common good in the situation. Paul is in chains. Agrippa has power over him. Paul has been imprisoned by Rome unjustly, without cause for two years. And yet Paul still approaches Agrippa, the king of the land, with, with respect and with honor. And what Paul shares, what Paul asks Agrippa to listen to patiently, is something that Luke has shared with us in the book of Acts multiple times. The conversion story of Paul. Lucas shared this in several places in, in the book of Acts. And in each one of these conversion stories, there's been slight differences, slight nuances. The differences are based upon the audience in which Paul is speaking to. When he was speaking to the Jews, previously and sharing his testimony about how he was converted, he was talking to them about Ananias, his mentor in the faith. Why was he talking to them about him? Because Ananias was known to be a godly, law-abiding Jew, a good man. And so Paul is saying, this is what he spoke over me, knowing that, that they had respect for this man. Now, Paul talking before King Agrippa, he references other things. He references history, and he references the writings of the prophets. Paul emphasized different aspects of his conversion based upon who his audience was. This is a great lesson for us who desire to witness for Jesus in our world. We're going to talk and emphasize different things to different people. I am not likely going to start. Well, I'm not, not even likely. I'm not going to start in the book of Revelation if I'm talking to someone for the first time who's never even heard of Jesus. I'm not going to, to talk about 
the Psalms and, and the poetry if there's someone that is keenly interested in prophecy. I'm going to emphasize different things based upon the audience I am in. This is what Paul does. So Paul says, King Agrippa, I was a Jewish Pharisee. I supported and endorsed killing people that were followers of Jesus. He says, when there wasn't enough evidence, O king, to kill them, I would try to trick them into blaspheming God so then I would have opportunity to torture them and kill them. But then one day I was headed to Damascus. Now we have a Damascus, Maryland, right up the road. That is not what is being spoken of here. Then I was headed to Damascus, Damascus, Rome. They're in the Judeo region. He says, I was headed there to find more Christians to persecute and to kill. And Jesus appeared to me. Verse 14 of chapter 26. And Jesus said to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answers him, Lord, who are you? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, seen from me and to, to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may, re may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then listen to this. Paul then says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, this is verse 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and also to all the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great. Again, an acknowledgement of who King Agrippa is. King Agrippa, you're the great man I'm standing before to witness to. Saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. At this moment, Festus loses his mind. Now Paul's been talking about visions and, and prophets, and now he's saying that, that someone rose from the dead. And Festus shouts out, Paul, you are a crazy man. We've all known people that, that, that it seems like they've gotten so much knowledge, they can't relate to anybody anymore. And that's what Festus accuses Paul of. He's like, man, you've studied so much, your brain's gone crazy. But Paul doesn't miss a beat. He says to him, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. And then he says this, for the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. Now he's saying, king, what I've been saying to you, you know is true because you've observed it with your own eyes. 
for this has not been done in the corner. And then verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophet? Paul doesn't wait for an answer. I know you believe. I know you believe. This is a key moment, folks, because this was supposedly, what's taking place here was supposedly a hearing for Paul. It was supposedly a defense of Paul so that, so that he could get off the hook, so that he could get the get out of jail card. But suddenly what we see is this isn't a defense at all. Paul is not talking for the purpose of defending himself. And Agrippa realizes this as well. Verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And without pausing, Paul replies, Paul lays all his cards on the table and said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, King, but all the people here who hear me this day might become such as I am, except of course for these chains. I want you to hear that exchange in a different version, in a, in a paraphrase. Paul said, King, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe the prophets. And Agrippa said, keep this up much longer and you'll make a Christian out of me. And Paul still in chains said, that's what I'm praying for, whether now or later. And not only you, King, but everyone listening today to become like me, to become a follower of Jesus. And there it is. At the beginning of this message, I asked you the question, do you have a singular purpose that impacts, that defines every interaction in your life? Paul did. Paul did. He was willing to endure abuse from the Jews until the point he could no longer witness. And they tricked them so that he could go and witness to someone else. He was content to sit in captivity for more than two years under the governor Felix. Why? Because Felix called to him and, and, and Paul was able to speak before Felix and his wife Drusilla about faith in Christ Jesus. He would have stayed in the same situation probably with Festus, but he realized that Festus was going to send him off to Jerusalem when there was no longer a place for him to witness. So he appeals to Caesar. The theologian F.F. F. Bruce astutely points out, Paul may have been moved more than anything else to appeal to Caesar by the incomparable opportunity which the hearing of his appeal would provide of preaching the gospel to the seat of imperial power. Paul appealed to Caesar not to get himself off the hook, but because there is one purpose that drove Paul's life. Where can I witness for Jesus? And now before King Agrippa, Paul just comes out and acknowledges it. When King Agrippa asks, are you trying to make me a Christian? Paul says, not just you, but everyone else who's in here. I want everyone to follow Jesus, Paul says. This is the purpose of Paul's life. So often when the topic of witnessing comes up, 
When, when we encourage people to, to share Jesus with others, they hesitate. They, they find some excuse for not doing so. They worry that they, that they don't know enough, that they don't understand enough, that they, that they can't answer all the questions. The smartest people in the world that are Christians are, are fearful to witness about Jesus. Some people make the excuse that somehow witnessing to Jesus is a bad thing. You'll hear people say things like, well, I mean, I want to be careful. I don't want them to think that I'm just out to convert them. Why not? Why not? Paul wrote, and I read this a few weeks ago and talked about this in a sermon not too long ago. You can find all our sermons at spencervillechurch.org and go to our archives, our sermon archives. But in a previous sermon, I talked about Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. It is my favorite text in the Bible. And Paul said this in that text, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My only aim is to complete the task that God has put before me. What is that task? To tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is Paul's purpose of testifying to the good news of God's grace? Well, later in the Bible, he tells us, I become all things to all people that all, by all means, I might save some. This was the singular purpose of Paul's life. And brothers and sisters, folks, if you are a follower of Jesus, it will be the singular purpose of your life as well. That is what this book tells us. When people have a true encounter with Jesus, when they discover the grace and the love and the mercy and the joy of living with Jesus, they want to share it with others. That's what we see throughout the Bible. It was the singular purpose of Paul's life. My only aim in life is to testify of the good news of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus, that should be the singular purpose that impacts every interaction we have in our daily lives. There's a statement that was made by a lady. I love her writings, Ellen White. She wrote this, Christ commits to his followers an individual work, a work that cannot be done by proxy. Ministry to the sick and the poor, the giving of the gospel to the lost is not to be left to committees or organized charities. Individual responsibility, individual effort, personal sacrifice is the requirement of the gospel. It's the requirement of the gospel. Well, the pastors are supposed to be the witnesses. The, the theologians are supposed to teach the Bible. Uh, the church as a whole, the corporate body is supposed to be with. No, 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 no. It must be the singular purpose 
the individual effort of every person who is a follower of Jesus, that every interaction is impacted by this purpose to share the gospel. Paul's in Jerusalem. He'll gladly take a beating as long as he gets to talk about Jesus. Paul is in captivity unjustly for two years. He'll gladly stay in prison unjustly as long as he gets to talk about Jesus. Paul is, is, is going to be shipped to Rome, potentially to lose his life before Caesar, but he'll gladly do it as long as he gets to talk about Jesus. Everywhere, there is a tendency to substitute the work of sharing Jesus to others. But this is a ministry that belongs to each one of us. It is the singular purpose that God calls us to. It must be the singular purpose of your life. It was the singular purpose of Paul's life. I have become all things to all people so that by all means, I might save some. It was the singular purpose of Jesus's life. For the Son of Man came to hang out, to not make people feel like he was just trying to convert them. No, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. It is the only purpose to live for. If we are a sincere follower of Jesus, it is the purpose we will live for. Commit your life to Christ today and commit your life to this purpose that the one who lived and died for you, the one who is coming back again, the one who loves you with an everlasting love, the one who has called you to have life and to have it more abundantly, the one that can give you peace that passes all understanding, that one has called you to share this good news through every interaction you have in your life. For his honor, for his glory, and so that others might know the love and joy that we have in being followers of Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for calling us to follow you. We thank you that you died for us, that you loved us so much that while we were still sinners, you came down to this earth and you took all our sins upon us so that we could have hope in the new day. And Lord Jesus, may we look around this world and as we see people wandering alone in their lostness apart from you, may our heart burn. May, may we say, as Paul said to King Agrippa, King, not only you, but all who hear, all who are in this place, may they all become followers of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we will no longer set this work aside for others, but that we all embrace that this is our purpose. This is our singular purpose. Yes, to convert the world to the love and the peace and the joy and the hope that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.